Hello, George Fairbrother here. In Australia, the bill became a Saturday night institution in the 1980s and 90s, and this tended to interfere with the social life a little. If an outing was being planned, there would always be the question, will we be home in time for the bill? Now, you could consider the dreaded pre-programming of the VHS, but most of the time it was easier just to stay home. So it's great to learn more about the people behind this remarkable program, which sort of became a way of life. So thank you, Oliver, and to all our heroes who have contributed to the podcast and Oliver's books over the past few years. You can find me at georgefairbrother.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome to episode 111 of The Bill Podcast. Wow, how did we end up here? And this podcast uh, is going to be my last for the time being, because the next nine editions of The Bill Podcast have been recorded and are presented by our special guest hosts, the wonderful Natalie Rolls, who of course superbly played DSW McAllister. I had some kind of panicked tweets that I was kind of stepping down and leaving the podcast behind, but by no means I am more involved with the Bill podcast than I ever have been. It was a case that while I was writing Witness Statements 2, which took up obviously so much of my time in order to be able to get the book released last year, I needed some help with the podcast and Natalie who is currently preparing her own podcast, interviewing interesting people, very kindly offered to interview some of her co-stars and pals from Sun Hill. And she has recorded some absolutely fantastic interviews, two of which you can hear right now on patreon.com. The next six months are available to Sergeant patrons, and there are two trilogies, one with Beth Cordingly, a.k.a. PC Kerry Young, and another trilogy with Raji James, aka DS Vic Singh. And they are fantastic interviews because Natalie unlocks conversations that I wouldn't have been able to get. There's something very special about hearing and on Patreon seeing because of their video releases. Two old pals reminiscing on uh, being in the bill together. And in uh, Raji and Natalie's case, they hadn't actually seen each other until they sat down and did that Zoom. So that's really special. So yeah, Natalie Rolls is the new presenter of the Bill podcast for at least the next nine months. I'm still heavily involved. I am recording commentaries with cast and crew on specific episodes for Patreon. There are, as I record this, 80 cast and crew commentaries on Patreon. That's interviews with some of the legendary writers of the bill, directors, camera operators, production assistants, floor managers, production managers, even executive producer Richard Hanford has recorded three commentaries which can be enjoyed on Patreon. And if you do enjoy the bill podcast and would like to support me so that I can continue to do it because I gave up my day job and I've been 
fully surviving as a TV historian, writing the Witness Statements books and making the Bill podcast. I've been surviving now for two years, which I can't do without the support of the patrons and with the fans who've been kind enough to buy copies of the Witness Statements books. So if you'd like to see the Bill podcast continue, the monthly free releases on SoundCloud will continue as they have done now continuously for the last four years and the Bill podcast is now six years old. I had a little sabbatical at the end of 2018. That was because I was still doing a, a very intense day job and I wasn't able to do both and when it boils down to it, you know, you only get one shot in life and uh, I said goodbye to the salary and the security and the pension and all the rest of it and thought, right, well, let's just do what you love. And uh, in my case, that's celebrating the bill. And I'm very lucky to be able to do that and I couldn't do it without the support of all the patrons. So thank you anyone who does support patreon.com forward slash the bill podcast. I know these are challenging times for everyone. If you are able to support the show the tiers start from £2.49 a month there's over 80 hours of content on there reaction videos cast crew commentaries reunion highlights pilgrimages visiting some locations and I've got a brand new series starting very soon so stay tuned for that a reason for me just opening up and sharing that little bit of information with you is the fact that this podcast features a very special guest who has completely changed career you will know her best as those legendary feet from the closing credits Karen England performed those end credit sequences three times twice with Paul Page Hansen and once with Robert Hudson aka Yorkie Smith in this podcast we'll be talking about Karen's career as a whole and her work now as a healer and Karen is a very spiritual soul and I found her her company absolutely enlightening. And so this podcast, as well as talking about the bill and what it's like to work in television very successfully as a supporting artist, also talks a bit about mental health and channeling energy. I found it a fascinating conversation and I hope you do too. So I'll be back at the end to sign off from the Bill podcast. But in the meantime, make yourself a cup of tea, sit back and relax and enjoy a fascinating chat with Karen England. She was WPC Doby, WPC Taylor, and technically played WPC Bryn because she was credited once as, as WPC Bryn. People online have mistakenly thought that Kelly Lawrence was miscredited as Karen England, but in fact, it was Karen England taking Kelly's lines in the cad room, in the coop. So it is Karen who is in the episode, not Kelly Lawrence under a different name. Anywho, that's enough of me. Now, here we go. A chat with a legend, the one and only Karen England. Nice to meet you. It's lovely to meet you. I'm absolutely delighted to be talking to you. Oh, how lovely. (laughs) Well, I'm excited. I'm also feeling really chilled out because I've just watched one of your holistic training video intros that you did for is it the turtle academy oh yes oh my goodness i'm feeling really zen that's fantastic (laughs) that you're doing that i'd love to know about that because what i like to do i I don't just celebrate the bill i celebrate the makers of the bill and everyone who was involved in it and i i love to 
tell your stories as well. So Oh, okay. I've not done that kind of therapy, but I found a great counsellor a couple of years ago. She really helped me work out what makes me happy and and, yeah. what, and and it's being a TV historian. And so I kind of gave up the salary and I've dived in doing what I love. Oh, wow. Good for you. That's what I do. I help people align with, with their soul's mission, what it is that makes them tick rather than what they think they should be doing. I've, I've got so much respect for you to, for doing that. And I, I love it because it we have in here this amazing brain and it's so easy to just go on a path. Yes. And I, I always yeah. felt like I was in a kind of conflict with myself. You look very happy doing what you're doing. So it shows you're in the right right place. <laughs> oh, happy and grateful. And I, I've got... Oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> I've got a supportive wife and she... Thankfully, likes the bills. It doesn't mind. If I <laughs> but I see you've got other figures in the background. You've got Doctor Who, and I, uh, I have, which which you also know a thing or two about, don't you? Well, I've I, over the years I've been in many programs. Doctor Who, uh, EastEnders. I think I was in some of the few first few episodes of EastEnders, just working away in the background. And in those days, we were all equity members. My husband and I, who's also in the business, we all we just decided that we, we weren't aspiring to be famous actors. We just wanted to do work that we enjoyed, and it happened to be background work. At the time, we made a really good living out of it yeah. because we got known to be professional, to be people who turned up, did the job, didn't complain we just we just got on with it we just we were there and we enjoyed it the film industry was very different you know the people that were background artists we were all I I was a dancer or my husband had been a child actor so he'd gone through stage school and so people were in between their entertainment jobs and used to do the background work but after a while, you just kind of went, okay, this is fun. I'm just, let's just carry on doing it. And so that's what we did. Maybe that's why I got the job as the legs, because they saw my dancers' calves. It's quite an art form, isn't it? Because you had to like hold each other. With the pictures with Robert, which was the original one I did, there's a picture there with us in Hawaiian tops. And that was for the press, just to kind of get people interested. Yeah, we had to be hip to hip, so we are arms around each other. So we were walking in together as if we were in sync. Thank you so much for for sending this through. This is gold dust. What's your story, Karen? Take me back. Where did you grow up? Oh my goodness! I was born and raised in Hong Kong. Wow! And travelled around the world with my parents a lot in the sixties before kind of people did that sort of thing and ended up coming back to the UK when I was 13. I then, when I was 16, went to London and trained at Rombert Ballet School, which is quite a prestigious ballet school, and uh, spent three years there and then went off and did a bit of dancing on cruise ships, and classical wasn't really my thing. If you have the love within you that we were talking about earlier, then it's it's what you want to do. But I did it because I was kind of good at it, not because I really had a yearning to do it. But I had a great time as a dancer. And then there comes a time when, when you're dancing when you have long periods between contracts. Mm. And so I signed up to a few agencies that, that 
supply background artists or extras, whatever you want to call them. So started from there and through that met my husband, Oscar, and, you know, things like the bill came up. I think I, I did another police program before that. I can't re remember the name of it, though, but I was a, I really had the look of a police person, I think. And what's quite funny is that my father was a policeman, so maybe it just ran in the blood that somehow came through that sort of steadiness. I started doing the bill in Wapping, Artichoke Hill. Oh, wow. So you were there right at the start. Yeah. And, you know, you just used to be called in every now and then. And I remember there was, wasn't even a dressing room. There were maybe a couple of us. There was a girl called Vicky uh, G. Dare. Also a friend of mine who I'm still friends with called April Love. And, uh, you know, so we used to just sit in the canteen and just chat away and then get called on set and do what we needed to do. Then it moved to, as you know, to Balby Road. It was a nice time because, as I say, everyone was a pro in their own right. You know, we were all there pulling together. We weren't aspiring actresses, even though... I did do a few, quite a few lines, you know, yeah. they, uh, th there was a point when they said, you know, can we just have you as and when for the odd line here and there? I said, yeah, fine. You know, I wasn't trying to be an actress. I just wanted to to work. And there were, there were a group of us and we used to all always meet up on jobs and it was just fun. You know, you'd meet up, you'd catch up with your friends and you'd work on the set and then you'd, you know, hang around a bit more. It's a lot of hanging around. Oscar and I were quite established at that point as a couple, and I then uh, became pregnant. Now, <laughs> obviously, as a policewoman, I didn't want the production to know I was pregnant because I wanted to work for as long as possible. Yeah. There was a really lovely wardrobe lady, and she used to say, it's okay, Karen, I'll get you a bigger skirt. And she used Aww. to just kind of work with me to try and disguise the fact that I was pregnant. So I, I worked as long as I could, and then obviously couldn't be too pregnant as a police officer, so yeah. went off. And then when I came back, it was it, it's it's interesting because with, within production companies, everything shifts and changes all the time. You'll get new production people coming in. So I came back and it was almost as if I was starting from scratch again. You know, people didn't really know who I was or what I'd done. It was okay because we were juggling work with childcare as well, which was quite challenging because obviously the days are long. Sometimes you'd be get called at seven in the morning and you wouldn't know what time you were going to finish. So in the end, Oscar and I used to sort of job share. Whoever got the job went to work and whoever didn't stayed at home. And that worked for a while. So then obviously from Balby Road, everything got bigger and bigger. They used to do, as you know, more and more productions at the same time. So it'd be the red unit, the blue unit, and you know, everything going on at once. So once we moved to Wimbledon, it got bigger and bigger. And I still did the odd lines. I still did the odd thing here and there. Not that much, but that wasn't my intention. So it was fine. It was it was good. You got credited on um, an episode called The Coop. They actually credited oh, you yes. as, yes. as Kelly Lawrence's character. <laughs> Yes, so, like, that's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it, so I'm not. Sure, I'm not sure whether like that was, like, 
Kelly had supposed to be in the episode and couldn't because she was with another unit, and so they they gave you her line. Yeah, I think sometimes that would happen because sometimes I'd be in the wait in the dressing room and I'd suddenly get a call. Karen, can you just come and and do a line? And I'd go, <laughs> okay. And <laughs> you know, it's quite nerve wracking, but it was it was good and. It was like a big family, you know, everyone knew each other, everyone was really friendly. We weren't outsiders coming in, we were part of the, the units. And so it was it was good fun to do. There came a point, um, I had a second child, and I think shortly, not long after that, family commitments just became too much. So that's when I kind of hung up my shoes, if you like, and yeah. uh, when I went on to do other things. Right, and because mm. uh, they were very loyal to you to to continue getting you to do the feat. I mean, you, you that's that's your slice of history, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, it is. I I don't know why. Maybe because they just knew I could do it, and uh, you know, it was it it was fun and easy to do, and yeah, they were loyal. So yes, I'm very grateful for that. It was fun. I mean, the last time we did it was in Richmond on the riverbank and uh i remember oscar coming along with my daughter who would have been about two because we lived in isleworth st margaret's at that time they were watching and uh, yeah that was fun the one you did with rob can you remember where that was that was possible i can't remember it's all a bit blurred but it, it's possibly whopping you know again it was you know like come along and do it and we're going to put this bikini top on you and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was just <laughs> the reason I think we got the work is because we didn't go no I'm not doing that we just said okay I can do that you know it's it was just part of the job you just did as you were told and you enjoyed it and you you got on with it and you didn't stare at the camera and you you didn't try to be something you weren't we were just part of the team did people get found out pretty quickly in, in that background game if if you had people coming in trying to well they had they had different ideas about what they wanted did did, did they get caught? yeah I'm sure because we all had agents and the agents would liaise with the casting directors they kind of got to know us and got to know who we were and how consistent we were and and interestingly, years later, after I left the bill, I was a pet behavior counselor for 20 years. And I had a client who remembered me he, from the BBC days or the ITV days, I can't remember. And he said, oh, yeah, I remember you. I, I used to ask for you. So, oh. you know, so, so you kind of built a reputation. You learned very quickly to say yes if, you know, to everything that was offered to you. So you say, yes, I'm free. Yes, I can be there. And it was the days before mobile phones. It was the days before sat-nav. And sometimes you get sent to locations the night before. Sometimes you didn't get the, the details till the night before. And you'd have to find yourself somewhere in the middle of nowhere. But um, with the bill, it was easy because you always knew where you were going. And you, you knew you were going to be looked after. What was Barbie Road like? Like, walk me through that building. Take me back. A long corridor with dressing rooms off it and then a corridor down the other end where there was 
a lovely lady who used to be the booker, Angela, her name was Angela. We go and chat to her. And so, you know, it was all very friendly and, and nice. Again, at that time, there weren't that many of us. It built over time. And things changed once equity dissolved because it was at a time when the trade unions were seen to be, well, Margaret Thatcher pulled apart or trade unions closed shops. And so that's when the whole thing changed because anyone could do it after that, mm. you know, and, and it was very different because up till then you knew that the, you'd get some people that were really, had really interesting lives that had done lots of variety shows and work and entertainment and all sorts of things. When that changed, it, it kind of shifted the everything. So you would get people from many walks of life. And there was nothing wrong with that. It was just different. It just wasn't as family. It didn't feel as, as family orientated, if that makes sense. There's a, there's a famous clip that's done by rounds for years from a, a James Bond movie, a Daniel Craig movie, where there's an extra in the background of a scene He's supposed to be brooming a yard <laughs> and the broom is not touching the ground. <laughs> and it's become this kind of meme where he's literally found it in. <laughs> but it made him through somehow, you know. <laughs> but I mean, Oscar, Oscar, my husband, was. Um, we came across some clips of a time when I think I must have been away having a baby or something. And just to show how how friendly it was, the principals, you know, Trudy Goodwin, all those people played the part of extras and the extras played the part of, of the sergeants. And it was just like a little spoof video and it was so funny. Oh, that's and, cool. And that was just kind of summed up how it was. Everyone seems to recall, it's interesting you say, but when you came back, would that have been when Michael Chapman came in and Peter Cregine had left? Because it sounds like Peter Cregine created a real family feel which mm. michael chapman was more of a sort of military man but yes yes but that's the nature of of life isn't it that people come and go and things change and you know the bill carried on being very successful for a long time after that so it obviously they obviously got it right one story that you might find quite amusing um when the snow lay around which is where i was in the cad room yeah um, that was fun to do, and it was aired on Christmas Eve. And that particular night, Christmas Eve, my husband was trying to get my son to go to sleep, and he was going, look, you have to go to sleep because Father Christmas won't come. Let's look out the window and see if if he's flying by type thing. And as he looked out the window, he noticed these people trying to break into our car. No way. So, so he phoned, we phoned the police, the police turned up and I was just in my dressing gown getting ready to go to bed and they sat in our living room and all they could say was, we've just watched the bill tonight <laughs> and we saw you. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And we were going, yes, but what about this yeah. break-in? <laughs> yeah. wow. So that was quite amusing. <laughs> As I'm talking to you, such lovely memories coming back you know it was a lovely time it was a really good time and we used to have christmas parties and i remember once this was in wimbledon i think it was set up as a casino and we all came and you know 
so, so that it yeah it was it was really nice really good and uh, everyone behind the scenes were lovely and then i i did a few little spin-offs because obviously the the legs was people were going well who are the legs and uh so i did a couple of little chat shows where there was this big reveal and and it was shown to be me not that anyone knew who i was but <laughs> it used to it seemed to bring a lot of pleasure to people people seem to like to know it's an iconic image of british television isn't it you know yes yeah it, it, and and it's it's the first thing a lot of people say if you say the bill they say the feet you know? yes um, well i i used to keep quiet about it because i'm i don't kind of as i say i was never out to be famous i'm just doing it as a job and you know a job yeah. i enjoyed and but I found that if I I mentioned it to people, it brought so much happiness when they'd go, "What? Wow! You with the legs!" <laughs> and even now, of certain generation, people are still if if you, if it comes up, people are quite interested. <laughs> and do you remember the moment you met Oscar? Um, it wasn't on the bill. It was on. Uh, there was a period of time where we we seemed to constantly be on the same programs mm. and we just hit it off really and it, it it was a slow burn we didn't kind of jump into the relationship straight away but we kept just meeting up and getting on and it just developed from there and we're now what i mean 35 plus years we've been together so it's <laughs> it's special it is yeah and uh he runs an agency now with our daughter who's oh, cool. so she's now grown up the mum of a mum of a child herself for 30 years he's had this business running for event staff and things like that oh that's fantastic what are your memories of doctor who just turning up and doing odd bits and pieces i think oscar would probably be able to tell you more he 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 had i think he did more I think you played a Lacertian, yeah. Oh, did I? You got yeah. better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <in> the... <laughs> Sylvester McCoy's first story. And, okay. Uh, you green makeup on. And, oh uh... yes, and also um, one of the one of the girls that was in Doctor Who. I worked with her on Tenko because I was on in Tenko for years. Louise Jameson, yeah, wow. and I think she was in Doctor Who and. She was always so friendly and so, you know, and people like Trudy Goodwin as well. They 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 kind of greet you as long lost friends when you your paths cross, which ha has happened occasionally. I saw that lovely clip of you on GMTV. Yeah. And they reveal you and, and, and Trudy just greets you so yes. sincerely. It was genuine because yeah. we, we were there working together and there was no kind of sense of hierarchy they were doing their job we were doing their our jobs and it just reminds me of on eastenders you know dirty den uh leslie grantham who played the, the 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 baddie he used to come and sit with us in the canteen and say you know what if it wasn't for you walk-ons we wouldn't have a show so Good you know he was he was really appreciative as well he, he was quality yeah we're still in contact with quite a few of the people, especially Oscar, he's still connected with 
quite a few of the people that we work with. Some friends that we still connect with, we all worked together as extras 30 odd years ago. And how did you guys like, you know, because as you say, there is a lot of waiting around because mm -hmm. you, you, it's getting your energy levels right, isn't it? Because at any point you've got to be ready to go. Yes, yeah. But, but also, how, how do you fill that time in between? How, how, do you, how did you do it? How did it work for you? Um, Oscar and I played a lot of Scrabble. <laughs> oh, my wife and I love playing Scrabble. <laughs> yeah, we used to bring little little trap uh, Scrabble sets. You you kind of just hung out and chatted to to your friends, and that's who they became. They became your friends, and you got to know each other. And you just it, it takes a certain mindset, I have to say. Some people wouldn't take to it, but I. You know, the, the hardest thing about the job was getting there on time. And once you were there, you just had to accept you were there till sometimes six, seven, eight o'clock at night. And you just kind of set, settled in. It's a bit like waiting for an airplane at the airport. You just kind of go, okay, got two hours here. The ladies' dressing room, this is in the old Deer, in Deer Park Road. And the gents, the extras the walk-ons we were opposite each other and we used to just mingle and chat and we were far enough away from the the set that we could do that yeah you just as soon as you were called on you'd just be there and you'd just do as you're told walk from there to there don't look at the camera just <laughs> it's quite a cool uniform to wear as a costume i guess yes i suppose it is yeah it's um it certainly beats wearing period costumes because you know, those are where you have to wear corsets and wigs and all sorts. The police uniform was just practical and it was, yeah, it was good. It was cool. When I started, I was wearing a skirt. We, yeah. we wore skirts and the little hats and we had a little handbag. <laughs> you don't see that anymore. <laughs> but I do remember um, many years ago, I was just in the streets walking through i think it was in twickenham and there were um real policemen running around and i just said oh the guy with the store nose down there and he kind of looked at me because he went how do you know it's called a store no because because <laughs> you know that that's the little uh mic thing you have where you ah. speak into yeah. so he just he looked a bit surprised and then <laughs> obviously as time went on i towards the end we started wearing trousers and uh it got a little bit more unisex. Yeah. And like, how did, what did your parents make of you doing this amazing, must have seemed a very glamorous job, you know, for people outside of the business? Well, they'd see, if they'd seen me be a dancer, they'd seen me do all sorts of stuff. I think they just accepted it. And I think most of the stuff I've sent you is probably from my mother, newspaper oh. cuttings that she's cut out. As parents, you know, they they encouraged me to follow what I wanted to do, so they weren't ever kind of saying, oh, you've got to get a proper job. And and so did you do the artichoke hill feet? Or, or... The very, very first ones you see I didn't do. Right. It's not my feet, I can tell. From a journey down memory lane, let's, let's talk about your journey into being a healer and, and mindfulness and where did that journey begin for you i started probably in my uh in my 20s i i started meditating and and going to see different talks from different people 
esoteric teachings that just kind of blow your mind because it's so beyond what we're taught in mainstream. And, you know, then I had children and that kind of got put to one side for a while. And I remember when my youngest was about four, I just got this message, it's time to come back to spirituality. And I went, oh, okay, what do I do? How do I do that? So I just, I went to an angel day. So it was just like a big gathering about angels. And it was just something I got drawn towards. And I found it helpful because it, it, it's not religion. It, it transcends religion. It's pretty much universal truth, but also tapping into the unseen worlds around us because we live on a, a certain dimension where we see things as solid, you know, solid dimensional time and space. But through the things I've learned is that there are many dimensions within these dimensions we can't see them but we can sense and as you tune into you can start to communicate or get guidance from and it's basically an aspect of who you are it's a higher your higher aspect because your soul is contained within a physical body but there are aspects of your soul that are multi-dimensional and so when so you're connecting with a with the higher wisdom of your soul so over the years you know i trained as a, a pet behavior counselor i'd help people with their dogs help them you know uh, with problems help them with their puppies you know getting them really it was all about connection and that's really what spirituality is it's about connection about connecting to who you are at the deepest part of who of your being what makes you happy it's about connecting to nature to each other in a meaningful way it's about connecting to life in a meaningful way and a lot of times people get caught up in the unimportant things like their ego about status fame money wealth hmm. those things are experiences they're not what who you are who you are is what makes you tick and what makes you happy and so over the years, I, I kind of was doing more and more courses and then I did trainings and my husband saying, why are you doing all this? And I say, well, you know, I, I don't think I'll be doing dog training when I'm 70, 80 years old, but I can still teach about this and teach meditation when I'm old mm -hmm. and wise. It's over the years it's developed. I teach something called Qigong, which is a form of Tai Chi. Oh, wow. which is energy movement. I'm a spiritual counselor. I teach meditation. The Turtle Academy for the Soul is a monthly gathering where people can join. You know, we create a space where people feel safe and they can open up to new ideas and be with like-minded people because we are seen as a little bit weird by by most people. Um what why why is that because do you, do you think people are are, are frightened to look within or, yes or... throughout life we are taught to conform and as you said you were conforming but not particularly happy and so when you follow your heart it's not logical you know you're there's part of you going well how do I pay the bills? How do I pay the mortgage? How do I support my family? And all these things kind of come in to, 
to try and stop you. But actually, we're here to expand our awareness and expand consciousness. And it's only through stepping out of your comfort zone that you actually can start to really connect to who you are and live an authentic life. This is kind of what's happening more and more, especially since the pandemic, because people have been reevaluating their lives. Do I need to do X, Y, Z? That's why people are shifting into different jobs, move, working from home, moving out of London, that sort of thing. People are starting to question. And this is a, a growing trend. It's a wave because as humanity, we are here to evolve and we're at a point a choice point so it's important uh when you realize that to help people to become empowered to to be themselves and to live their lives and to be genuinely living loving lives where we support each other rather than the doggy dog scenario where you have to battle to to be the top dog and you know all that sort of stuff but ironically, dog training taught me that as well, because, you know, that, that's the dogs don't work that, in that way. No. But no. we've been told that, they, that we have to boss them around, but we don't. It's cooperation. Yeah. We uh, we last month lost our cats after oh. 11 years. And I mean, oh. it was my wife's second soulmate, you know, mm -hmm. we brought him up since a kid. And we, we just last night applied for a new cat because we... we but the, we don't have kids, and he was like our boy, yeah. Was our boy. yeah. Um, but he always like cats get a bad rep. But he always knew when we needed him. If we yes. were feeling a bit mm. vulnerable, he'd be there. You know, they, they are amazing. They are amazing. So, if you are you getting another cat? Yeah, we we've applied um, last night for uh -huh. uh, for, a, for a little kitten. Oh, amazing uh, from the RSPCA. So we're like, oh, because I've got a, I've got a friend who uh, works at a cat sanctuary, and she oh. said at the moment there are seventy kittens looking oh. for homes. So I think you know, as a result of people's incomes shrinking, there's a lot more of animals being that need homes. I think oh. ginger cats have a certain character trait that I really admire. They seem to be quite independent, but quite... I used to walk my dogs and a ginger cat would come with us for a walk, that type of thing. You know, they they, 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 they kind of know. They seem to be very clever. Yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah, I, I really hope because it would, it would, it would help. It was a big loss for us and that we still feel it. And he, you know, he used to come in and, around this time. He would come in and sit with me when I wrote we can learn a lot from animals and yes and, and i i, I so admi genuinely admire what you and i'm sat listening to you transfixed because i think you know you, you get to a you suddenly get to a certain point in your life where you start thinking about different things and then what it's all about and uh i i believe rocco's spirit is still mm. in this house i mm. believe he's he's here with us still mm. I, I believe that and it's a comfort um it's, it's an amazing and i suppose for you it's something that you never stop learning about no you don't you you know this connection to yourself is where it starts and it, it starts with kind of really loving yourself loving mm. who you are and you can go deeper and deeper and deeper with that it's kind of never ending 
And it makes you realize how conditioned we are by society, by life, by expectations. And that this forms a kind of a cage around us that stops us. And what stops us mostly is fear. And fear is an illusion that keeps everyone in place. It's sometimes used by governments for, you know, for that very reason. Once you recognize fear for what it is, you it doesn't stop you being afraid, but it gives you courage to work through it. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 a, and I guess a, a fear that people have of whatever people will think. Yes, yeah. You know, not, yeah. not conforming and not, yes. being, you know. It, yeah, so it's really lovely to talk to you about it because normally I would keep what I do fairly quiet because not many people, people kind of think you're a little bit strange when you start talking in this way because I think uh, religion maybe has given people a connotation that they think it's not for them, but actually spirituality is about connecting to life yeah. and connecting and that there are certain truths within spirituality everyone has a perspective on life that's true to them but it may not be the truth you know the truth is something that's universal mm -hmm. and these are universal truths that we don't get taught about enough and so one of my roles is in teaching it's in supporting people after uh, I speak to you, I have a client and, you know, I'll be working with her. I do one-to-ones. I do my classes with Qigong and I, I do things like the Turtle Academy stuff. So it's, it's, it's all evolving. Both Oscar and I have both created our realities in that we've never worked for a company under a contract. We've always created our lives. So... Yeah, that is really cool. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all sometimes a bit precarious. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but but you know, um, we've got we've had good practice and we've got this far. So <laughs> yeah, I, I, I when I made the decision to give up a salary job and just try and make a living doing what I love, I was like, well, how much do I actually need to earn yes. to live? And 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 like my thing is. As long as I can pay my half of the bills, mm -hmm. the mortgage, then I'm winning. Yes. And if I can save, then it's a bonus. Yes, absolutely. I've always been told that my needs will always be met. And this is the, the, the voice of, of the inner voice. It's not voices that are telling you you're mad or anything. It's just a knowing. It's just a knowing. It's like, you know, your needs will always be met. Don't worry about over worry about it because otherwise when you do that worry low, lowers your vibration because we are all working on different frequencies depending on like a radio station what we put out and when you put out positivity and love and and compassion and goodwill you're working on a higher frequency than if you're kind of stuck in the head and worrying about every tiny thing so it's about surrendering to life and trusting and that's a challenge. It's, it's, it's the challenge. But what it means is that you are then more connected to your higher guidance, your wisdom, your inner wisdom, which is your connection to God. And, you know, again, God is seen as a dirty word in some places because of religion. But 
God is not a little old man sitting on a cloud. God is is creator energy. It's the energy that creates the universe. And we hold that creator energy within us. We are all individual expressions of creator energy. When you realize that, you realize that you can co-create your life however you wish. And my job is to help people release the blocks that stop them doing that. So that's where the counseling and, you know, I do energy clearings come in. Now, you seem in a really good place, may I say, in this Zoom room. You know, you seem in a good place in life. And, and I, I, I suppose the fact that you help make a difference, you know, mm. is, that's that's a gift that will just keep on giving, isn't it? You know, well, I think I, I think we all have that capacity. We don't have to be a healer. We don't. We all just have to be ourselves and shine who we are, and that will have an impact on everyone around you. When I first met you, the, I immediately was struck by how creative and positive you were. I immediately aligned with your energy, and that was really lovely. <laughs> I, I, I just felt super chilled. As soon as I saw a photo of you, it was on the uh, HHC website, yeah. and I was like, you had a very similar en energy in that picture to uh, Kim, who I might counselor i work with where she just instantly just made me feel safe and calm and excited yeah I, I, yeah. excitement about being alive you know it's, and, it's that, a... and that's kind of the why we're here to learn how to do that and and if you can be like that with the people you that you know come into contact with you're going to influence them you know what it's like you go into a room that's full of negativity. It, it makes you feel really uncomfortable. You go into a room where, where people are friendly and open and and in a way the bill was like that. You know, it was made by people like Larry Dan and Trudy. You know, they, they're very genuine, open people. Graham Cole, Graham Cole I used to work with, had worked with for many years. Look at him, he's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But he was always a very positive person, you know. Everything I've done up till now, as for you as well, just brings you to where you are. And really, it's amazing that you're doing what you're doing. And I was I was a little bit nervous. And then I just said, OK, this isn't about you, Karen. This is about just being present and open and enjoying it. So that's what I decided. And when you appeared on the screen, I went, OK, here we go. Let's just chat. <laughs> you're a really important part of the history of this program that I love and to celebrate you and the fact you are doing something as a human so important oh. well, I genuinely oh, I'll do thank that you. again I <laughs> did that you. for the feet and now I do it for you Karen Peck because oh, thank you, know, you. making a difference and it's and and I've, I've genuinely loved this so well, I'm sure I'm sure you're making a difference too, because you know there are people who still love the program that are real fans, aren't there? That, I, I had um, the the one that sticks out in my mind the most is a police sergeant in Australia who wrote to me to say that he listens to the Bill podcast in his patrol car at nights when he's on nights. Oh my goodness! And just a little a little story that's come to mind when we did the 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 legs in Richmond 
they had little cigarette butts within the cobbles to to give us our lime. Wow. <laughs> That's something that not many people know. Oh, I love it. I'm just wondering how old you were when I was doing all this stuff. You must have been quite young. Yeah, well, I'm, the... I'm 36. So Okay, so you I, I was I was a baby when you were doing the Barbie road. It must be quite interesting because we're we're all getting older. We're all we're all kind of getting to a different stage in life now. So it's it's quite interesting looking back and seeing. So grateful for your time, Karen. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And well, keep making a difference. You've made oh. one to, you've made one for me today, as for sure. I, I've loved this. You know. Oh, fantastic! Oh, that's that makes it worthwhile, doesn't it? And you've made a difference to me as well. So thank you. My huge thanks to Karen for sharing her memories and uh, that brilliant conversation. And talking about the work she does now, which you can read more about. Karen now goes by the name Karen Sophia Peck. And you can read more on soulspectrumhealing.com. And the surname Peck is related to her husband, Oscar Peck, who Karen referenced during the interview. And Oscar, as well as sharing his memories for the Witness Statements book, as did Karen, Oscar has recorded a bonus podcast for the Bill Podcast Patreon channel. It's a series called Off The Beat, where some members of the cast and crew talk about their careers, wider careers outside the Bill. But that one in particular does provide some fascinating nuggets about what it was like on the Bill in the late 1980s. So check that out on patreon.com forward slash the Bill Podcast. Also referenced during the chat with Karen is the fact that uh, Tess and I lost our cat Rocco last year bless him uh which all happened very suddenly and was just crushing during the chat we talked about uh, the fact we were hoping to adopt a kitten from the rspca i am pleased to say we were successful and we rescued a little kitten who is now almost one years old called forks uh he's ginger and he's he's a darling the reason that uh, Forks is almost one, and in the video we were talking about a kitten, because at the time he was five months old, is the fact that this podcast was recorded and edited and released initially on Patreon six months ago. And that's one of the perks of being a patron. If you're a sergeant patron, you get the next six monthly releases of the Bill podcast in advance and as video versions. And the bonus now is if you join as a sergeant patron, you'll be able to see the two trilogies of Natalie Rolls interviewing both Beth Cordingly and Raji James. Sergeant patrons now also get an archive audio commentary. Some of the earliest commentaries are recorded for the Bill Podcast Patreon channel, unlocked every month. So if you were to join for $9.99, you'd be unlocking the next six podcasts. There's six commentaries already unlocked for sergeants. Plus there are nine off-the-beat bonus podcasts with another three to come in this series. There's three reunion highlights with, I think, a dozen legends from the Bill chatting about their, their time at Sun Hill. And there's over 100 reaction and analysis videos from me as I watch different episodes from the Bill for the first time and react to them. If you'd like to unlock over 80 hours of bonus The Bill podcast content, I'd be very grateful for your support. And there are fantastic 
discussions in the comments sections under the videos with fellow fans. A great, lovely community on there and you'd be very welcome and we'd love to see you on there. So that's patreon.com forward slash the bill podcast. And that, ladies and gents, I'm sure some of you will be relieved and pleased to hear that's it from me as I sign off from the Bill podcast. Well, at least for the next nine months because Natalie's already recorded them and we're planning more. It's a joy making the podcast now with Natalie who is a glorious human being, absolutely joyous and very, very talented. And I can't wait for you to hear the gold dust she has unearthed uh, during these upcoming interviews. And there's, there's more to come. So it's good times. I'm very grateful to everyone who continues to support and listen to the Bill podcast. And indeed buy the Witness Statements books. If you haven't got them yet, you can get signed copies from devonfirebooks.com. And yeah, I've got plenty to do. And I hope you will join me. And so yes, stay tuned for the legendary Natalie Rolls. Making her debut on SoundCloud and iTunes. And wherever else you find your podcasts from next month. If you don't want to wait at least another nine months to hear me again, pop on Patreon. You'll be bored to death of the amount of content I'm producing there. But in the meantime, take very good care of yourselves. Thanks for all your support. And bye for now. Hello, this is Ben Payton and you have been listening to The Bill Podcast. Produced and presented by Oliver Crocker. Co-produced by Ben Adams, Rob Cook, Sarah Kuyper. Alex Mockler and Simon Wolfe. Executive produced by Isabel Allen, Ben Ashmore, Joseph Beaver, Alana Dewar, Andrew Dyack, Paul Dunn, Dan Evans, George Fairbrother, Luke Hegarty, Edward Kellett, James Ledane, Simon McGoldrick, Lucy McNeil, Gary Moncur, Claire Norbury, Laura Pinifay, Michael Seeley, Nicholas Shaw, Tom Sherrington, Angel Stannard, Patrick Stratford, Michael Weil and Sarah Went. Brought to you in association with georgefairbrother.com, mcgoldrickwatchrepairs.com and shop.saturdaymorningpress.co.uk. Listener.